Welcome to the Investment Cuddle. I'm Gary, and on a podcast today, we're going to talk about alternative investments, what we're classing as Terry alternatives. So over a number of episodes, for those of you that are familiar with the podcast, we've mentioned the Fundsmith Equity Fund run by Mr. Terry Smith, often referred to as the UK's Warren Buffett. On many occasions, because we've kind of had it as a benchmark for the stuff that we do and we talk about. And so we're going to dive a little bit into that fund today. And over the course of the podcast, we're going to look at what the Fundsmith Equity Fund does, because it does some things really well and has done for a prolonged period. And actually ask ourselves the question if you were going to look for an investment vehicle for the next five or 10 years, because let's face it, if you're going to put money in the stock market, if you're thinking less than a five-year horizon, don't bother in our opinion. But basically, if you're looking for the longer term, is the Fundsmith Equity Fund still the best that there is? As we said, we've been using this as a benchmark, so we'll look at how it's done performance-wise. We'll look at some other what we'd like to class as good performing funds, like the unit trusts or OICs, as they're now known, exchange-traded funds, ETFs, and anything else that we think might be of interest, bonds, etc. I think the view being that we would like to look at an investment strategy that maybe isn't a specific style manager's fund. Can you mirror a similar strategy yourself and manage that and can you maintain that performance over the long term that's the real question do you have the time do you have the energy do you have the knowledge that you need so that's all quite challenging really but i guess the place to start is really the fundsmith equity fund so the fund's been around more than 10 years now it has performed pretty well over that time. So we'll look at the Fundsmith Equity Class I accumulation fund, which is priced in, in pounds, British pounds. So charges on that in the order of about 0.9%, 0.94%. There'll be a platform fee on top of that if you go to the platform or use your platform. If you go direct to Fundsmith themselves, that won't obviously be part of the charges. But if you look at what they've done over the last five years, let's say, certainly since 2018, they've been up nearly 17%. Following year was just over seven, then 23. Last year was a very interesting year, down about 11. Now, as we speak, it's middle of the year. So this is middle mid-year to mid-year in terms of performance that we're looking at. And this year, certainly from, from this time last year to now, they're up about 9.5%. So a little bit of recovery over that drop of, of 11. But consistently in the range of double-digit growth. And that, on anybody's basis, is good. Whether they're slightly better, slightly worse than another fund, we'll come to that. But the point being, double-digit growth is impressive. So there's no, there's no argument that this fund has performed. There's no argument this for this fund has not been popular. So I think we when we came across it, it was five hundred million. The fund now is in the region of 
I believe, twenty two billion pounds. So I won't work out how many times that's doubled. But the point being that that's asset gathered a lot of money over that period. And I think part of this discussion is around the fact that that gathering of assets due to no fault of Fundsmith other than their popularity because they've done well and everybody wants a piece of that, they are now so big that you've got to ask a question about whether they are agile enough to be able to find companies that are big enough that will grow enough in this environment. And that's a real challenge. I think that's probably for me and for us on the podcast, the biggest challenge going forward. And I'm sure it's one they relish. But for us, we look at it and go, well, maybe it's time to look for a smaller, more agile fund that can have that kind of growth of the 20s and 30% per year. This fund was having in certainly maybe not the last five years as we've seen, but prior to that, it was making some very serious returns. So the fund holds 28 companies. As we said, it's an open-ended investment company. So as we said, you buy, you put money into the fund, they create shares, you're given those shares, you want your money back, they dissolve those shares, you get your money back. So not quite like an investment trust, as we said, we're not buying the, the shares, the tradable shares. The, the fund does pay a dividend, about 1%. And as we said, the launch date for this was 2010, November 2010. So I think we probably came across this either in 2011 or 2012. So the association with Fundsmith and watching what they've been doing has been a significant period of time, really. And so I don't want this to come across as we are saying you shouldn't invest in these guys. But I think what we're saying is if they are the standout performers of the last 10 years plus, what are we doing over the next 10 years? And it may well be that we conclude out of this that you carry on with a Fundsmith strategy and that works. But also, are there other opportunities out there to look for the next fund that will turn into a popular and large fund? So before we look at the philosophy behind Fundsmith, let's just look at the top five companies that they invest in as of today. So number one, Microsoft Corporation. Number two, Novo Nordis. Philip Morris International is at number three. L'Oreal is four. And IDEX Laboratories Inc. is number five. So some of those companies you may have heard of, some of you won't. But we are basically saying that in the top five there, we're looking at software and computer services, medical, tobacco, those kind of areas, it's a mix. And it's a mix all the way through the portfolio. Do we know everything that Fundsmith Equity Fund owns? No, we don't. There may be some unlisted companies in there. It's difficult to know. And actually, why would they give you the entire list of companies? But certainly, if it's something of interest, I would certainly encourage you to have a look at the fact sheet for Fundsmith 
because it's an interesting fund and as i say has a track record which difficult to beat but nonetheless we're going to look at their philosophy and whether or not there are funds out there that can compete at this level and will they compete going forward so what is the fundsmith philosophy i think it's probably best broken down into three rules three rules for their process which is to buy good companies don't overpay for those companies which is a debatable point in this <laughs> this current uh, environment with the with the multiples that are around or do nothing so for me i like the fact that that's three things because those are three things i can keep in my head at any one time certainly if you're thinking about investing in a fund you know what that fund's about with those simple three process rules what do we mean by good companies are good companies i would suggest here are companies that have a good balance sheet that make money make money consistently reinvest in the business and therefore there is a future for that business and a future for growth so i think when you look at fundsmith they're not frightened of buying companies that pay significant dividends they're not frightened of buying companies that don't pay very much of a dividend at all but have really high growth they're not value and they're not growth it goes back to the philosophy that that philosophy is neither of those but could be both hopefully that's not too confusing but the principle being that this isn't a value growth conversation they do want to be buying things that grow however that happens but essentially that growth is then reflected in the share price rather than the fundsmith equity fund play, paying a large dividend and essentially you if you were putting that let's say into a in a pension you are essentially selling units to live off and you're living off the growth so i kind of like that simple approach so as we said fundsmiths existed for over a decade during that period it's probably fair to say that it has been placed at the top or very top in terms of performance compared to other funds over certainly a five-year period wherever you pick within that that period from launch and that's why it's been invested in so heavily so we've posed ourselves a number of questions for today's podcast one of those questions was what are the top three investment funds that were launched within the last five years and have a strategy of investing in high quality companies. They've got to have a low management fee and assets under management somewhere in the range of 500 million pounds or dollars, certainly less than a billion dollars in assets. So one twenty-second of the Fundsmith Equity Fund as we stand today so we've looked at this in some depth and our research has brought us back to a fund that we have talked about at length in other podcasts as well so we went out and had another look a fresh look and came back with the same answer sometimes that's not a bad thing but we found one fund not three we found one that was launched in the last five years invested in high quality growth stocks to global equity fund it's delivered excellent returns, was launched in 2017, 
So we'll have a look at that now. And so that is the Blue Whale Growth Fund. So the ongoing charges on this fund are 0.83%, so slightly below that of Fundsmith Equity Fund. If you look at their performance, again, we'll look at it in a similar lines to Fundsmith over the past, past five years. So in 2018-19, it returned 19%, then about 14 the year after, 21 the year after that. Last year had an interesting year down 23%, and this year, mid-year to mid-year, is up 18 So, again, this brings in that double-digit growth that we talked about in share value, which, again, is really impressive in my mind. So the fund size at the moment, about £800 million, so probably about a million dollars, 30 holdings. This is a unit trust, an OIC, open-ended investment company. And I think the interesting element about this, folks mentioned this on previous podcasts, that the guys from Hargreaves, Lansdowne, were involved with, one of the guys that set Hargreaves Lansdowne up, was involved with setting up this fund. This guy, the fund manager, is ex-Hargreaves Lansdowne. So what do they invest in? Well, just cover the top five here. As I say, if you're really keen to look further, you can. I will say they do invest in NVIDIA, which I know is flavor of the month at the moment, but it's not in the top five. So Charles Schwab is number, number one, then Microsoft. Viva Systems Inc., Sartorius, and then LAM Research at number five. So... Again, they are heavily into technology and equipment, software and computing, medical, industrials. So little subtly different to the Fundsmith equity fund there in terms of sectors. But they are invested in different companies. But the principle, I think, there is the same in terms of how they approach things in terms of buying good companies. But they're not Fundsmith at all. They are their own people, and there's some similarities in their holdings, but not a huge amount there. So that's Blue Whale growth. So the next question we posed was around the investment philosophy or strategy. And what we wanted to look at there was looking at a strategy that mirrors the style of the Fundsmith Equity Fund, looking at key sectors any individual companies that provide that long-term growth, including an option on potentially the bond market and whether this should be part of the strategy going forward. Obviously, we're in a period of higher interest rates and therefore money's being loaned at a higher rate. So does the bond market have more to offer now than it did in the previous decade? And should the strategy focus on dividend income? As you know well, by now, if you've listened to many of our podcasts, we we like a dividend on this show, and that's always not that's not always the best approach to focus purely on dividends. But we also talk about dividend income with dividend growth, or is there a different approach that would work? And also looking at within that strategy the costs and what options you've got about keeping the costs low, because we think that whilst 
Fundsmith won't be the cheapest fund out there. They do make a point of saying that because they don't trade very often and they declare essentially those trading costs wrapped up in the management fee, all their costs are disclosed as the percentage that you pay rather than the percentage that you pay and then trading costs are not declared as part of that fee. And therefore, at the end of that strategy, does that mean that Fundsmith remains a solid investment for the next 10 years? So we've already said that the Fundsmith Global Equity Fund is a global fund that invests in high quality companies with sustainable growth prospects. The fund's objective is to achieve long term growth in value over five years or more. That should be anybody's goal, but it's a good way of looking at fund investment. So we're looking at a fund that consists of no more than 30 stock. It's focused in and around the consumer staples, healthcare and technology sectors. And we know that it's holding companies like Microsoft, Estee Lauder. So to mirror that strategy, you need to look at a mix of companies to invest in that have strong competitive advantage, resilient cash flows, high returns on capital and low leverage. So basically, they've not got too much borrowed. If you've not listened to the, the, the Fundsmith annual meeting and general meeting, I think it's always worth listening to what Terry's got to say, even if you don't put any money with him, because generally his opinion is worth hearing. And when I think about what I've just said there prior to, to that statement, you know, competitive advantages, what does that really mean? I think I once heard him say he was talking about companies that have won in the marketplace. So you take, for example, Microsoft, a software company, amongst other things that they're doing these days. But he gave the example of most ATM machines, cash machines, run off a Microsoft system. So what he was basically saying was in the marketplace, Microsoft are in so many systems that have essentially won the market. And if you've got a company that's won the market, you're not trying to guess whether they're going to win the market because they've won the market. So I think it's a really powerful example of what you need to look at if you're going to try and tackle a similar strategy. So. Therefore, we need to look at companies that will benefit from secular trends. So there's an awful lot going on at the moment with AI, e-commerce, cloud computing, health and wellness has obviously been a significant area recently, and the environment, so environmental sustainability. Companies in those spaces that are gaining or have got competitive advantage will be good companies going forwards as long as there's resilient cash flow and higher returns on capital and low leverage. Those key elements there are the things that you're looking for to pick companies that you want to invest in. So we could look through and say, well, what companies, what kinds of companies are we looking at? Some household names and big companies now. You look at the size of Fundsmith, there's only certain size of companies they can invest in that will make a difference. As, they, as their stock price changes. Buying lots of a small company, that small company does fantastically well. It isn't going to shift the dial for a large fund these days. 
But the sort of companies that would fit within those areas we were talking about, you've got Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, obviously Google's in there with the Alphabet, Visa, MasterCard, Starbucks, Costco, Unilever, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, Nova Nordis, Abbott Laboratories, Thermo Fisher Scientific. There's, the list could go on, but those are a few companies in and around that sort of area. But as an alternative to that strategy of just looking at companies, you could invest in exchange-traded funds or indeed index funds that track the global equity benchmarks. So you've got the MSCI World Index there, the FTSE World Index. These funds provide exposure to those broad range of companies we've talked about across different countries and sectors. That would keep your costs low within an ETF or an index fund. But the challenge with these index funds and ETFs is that you're going to be purchasing because these funds hold companies that may not meet the quality criteria that Fundsmith Equity Fund has put on their investing style. This could be energy, financials, materials, stocks. Again, Terry Smith, way back when now, said he'd buy Microsoft, but he wouldn't buy Apple because he didn't buy fashion stock. So you can say, well, I don't believe that's a fashion stock. It doesn't matter what our opinion is. His opinion or the position he was given at that point is that's not a company that fits their criteria. And I think that's another element here is whatever you invest in, if it's going to be individual companies or funds, what are you prepared to invest in or not invest in? When we talk about you know environmental social governance, does that mean you're ruling out tobacco, oil, mining, all of those sectors? Or do you accept the fact that perhaps to get an electric vehicle, you need to mine? So therefore, some miners in the portfolio is okay. It's a difficult balance, but I think the point in that area is set out your stall in terms of what you feel is important because we're all different. So the one that's slightly more challenging is we said about considering bonds. And when you look at the bond market, the outlook certainly for this year as, as we go through the year is mixed. On the one hand, bond yields have risen significantly. And this is due to higher inflation and tighter monetary policy. So last year, we saw negative returns in most bond categories, especially long term and low quality bonds. On the other hand, the bond yields may well have peaked at the moment and close to peaking in the next few months. Tend to look at the US for that to lead. They've probably got the lowest inflation at the moment. The UK is probably sitting with one of the highest despite the talk about it being halved by Christmas. You never know your luck. But as that inflation starts to moderate and the economic growth potentially slows down, this could provide some relief for the bond market and create opportunities in some segments of the market. The principle there is, let's say you buy IBTL, so the 10-year US Treasury bond. So at the moment, it's below... 300 pence a share so you turn around and say you may yield somewhere between three or four percent on that depending on uh price but let's say it's peaked so where's the upside well you get your coupon paid out 
So that's the percentage on the on the bond. So let's say it's yielding 4%. So you get 4% per annum on that. If that yield drop, the price of that bond will rise. So you get your coupon slightly lower, but you get your capital increased, of which you then can sell that bond and live off the capital or go and buy something else, depending on what the market's doing. So I quite like the bonds in that sense, but it's not easy because you turn around and say, well, okay, fine, the yields go to 5%. That's fine. The price of the bond will drop. So you lose capital in that situation. And if you don't need the capital, you might say that's an acceptable risk. But the bond market's a a difficult play most of the time, specifically more now. So I think if you are going to look at bonds in any strategy, the phase here is modest allocation in the bonds in the portfolio. But it does diversify the, the portfolio. And it does generate some income and it potentially generates some capital if inflation eases and the market rates, central bank rates come down, the rates of the bonds will come down. And that's when you make your capital gain. So the the option here, I guess, is to turn around and say you could look at some short, medium and long term bonds and balance out that interest rate risk. And you can also look at if you're certainly going to look at company bonds higher quality credit. So we talk about credit ratings previously on the podcast, but you turn around and say higher quality debt, companies that are able to roll their debt at these higher rates and you'll make more return without them getting short cash flow and going broke, which is always a risk. So as we said, the examples of those bonds there, we've got US treasuries, UK gilts, German bonds, and you've got investment grade corporate debt corporate bonds, not junk bonds. And then finally on this, we'll just have a look at the dividend income and growth. This can be a different approach. So it's more on the value side, you could argue, but dividend income and growth can provide a steady stream of cash flow. And this can be compounded over time if you don't need the money immediately. And we know about compound interest. Fantastic opportunity. However, dividend paying stocks may not always be the best performers in terms of growth. And also those dividends are discretionary. So they're not a guarantee to pay out. They can be suspended by companies in times of distress. And a recent, a fairly recent example of that was the banks in the UK were told by the Bank of England to suspend dividend payments during the pandemic. So even if they'd gone past the ex-dividend date, they didn't pay. And they didn't retrospectively pay either. So as shareholders, quite often, you are not the priority, and that's something to bear in mind. That's why we like investment trusts in this space, because they can hold reserves. And when things like that happen, generally, it's only by exception, I would say, that companies are not paying their dividends. They generally pay. They may not raise the dividend that coming year if they're spending reserves, but at least if you're reliant on the income, you will get paid. So a different approach here could be to focus on total return or capital growth instead of dividend income and growth, because we just said dividend income and growth is quite challenging. 
This could involve investing in companies that reinvest their earnings into their business rather than paying out dividends. These companies may have higher growth rate potential and higher valuation multiples than dividend paying stocks. So essentially the the price earnings ratio will be higher. So you have to pay essentially more for them in terms of what they're worth. But that's kind of been the game over the last 10 years is you slightly feel like you're overpaying for these stocks and they still continue to grow. But the other side of this is they may also be more volatile and risky in terms of earnings stability and cash flow generation and share price when all this kicks off because you end up seeing wobbles in the market and they will go down more than other stocks. And again, when you look at these preferences and these styles, it does come down to personal preference, what your goals are, what your risk tolerance is, and consider, this is always a really important one, the tax implications of what you're doing in the jurisdiction you're in, in terms of your income and your capital gains. Because if it's tax rapid, then that's great, but they'll get you tax on the way in or tax on the way out one way or the other. Just try and avoid doing both. So what we've said there is to try and mirror that fund with an investment strategy, you're going to be looking at investing in high quality global equities with sustainable growth prospects, mostly in the consumer staples, healthcare and technology sectors. You could look at a modest allocation of short, medium and long duration bonds that will diversify your risk and generate some income. And if you want some dividend income and growth in there, then that's also no bad thing. But like we said, with looking at indexes and ETFs, if there are holding lots and lots of companies, don't over diversify. Remember at the beginning when we talked about the strategy of no more than 5% with any company, no more than 15% of the portfolio within, with any sector. And if you can stick to those, that's somewhere between 25 and 33 stocks within a fund, your fund in terms of what we're talking about here. So that's what a strategy would look like that would try and mirror the fund. But the challenge here is always going to be around the time and energy required to create a portfolio like that. Some people do that for fun. It's a hobby for them. Some people want a fit and forget. They want to give it to an investment manager and let them do it. On the next podcast, we're going to look at a number of funds that have outperformed or performed similar to the Fundsmith Equity Fund over the last 10 years or since their inception. We've already talked about Blue Whale, but we're going to part Blue Whale for the next episode. You know, If you want to look at Blue Whale as an alternative, we want to look at Fundsmith. We'll leave you to look at those and then look at funds that are likely to outperform in the next 10 years. So no crystal ball here. But we're going to try and look at some funds that may outperform in the way that they are structured and what they invest in over that next period. So I hope you found that useful. I'll put the links in the show notes. If there's other things you want us to cover on the podcast, please let us know. And we'll see you next time. This program has been presented for information and educational purposes only.
None of the information or content of the programme is to be taken as an offer, opinion or recommendation by the programme's hosts or guests to buy or sell securities, nor is it intended to provide legal, tax, accounting, commercial or financial advice. Opinions and comments are based on information from sources believed to be reliable. All investing involves risk as prices go up or down based on a number of factors. Always consider consulting a financial professional before investing.